So, it's the place where you have to ask permission not to make political statements. Welcome to the Motion E podcast. Yes, welcome to the Motion E podcast. I'm S. Garlic, and uh, I'm very happy to say that I'm joined by Jalopnik's senior motorsport editor, Elizabeth Blackstock. Um, Elizabeth, welcome back to the Motion E podcast. It's so good to be back. Thanks for having me. Yeah, um, it's it's great to have you. Uh, actually, the last time you appeared on this, it was uh, by a huge margin our most popular program. So, or my most popular. That's program. exciting. I know. So, uh, um, uh, let, let's let's put it this way: you're you're not just back to the SEO and the numbers, but it doesn't half. <laughs> I mean, it's the cherry on top. The Formula E Gen Three era has pleasantly surprised me in so many ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it just strikes me that uh, it, they're, they're still doing an absolute horlicks of promoting the championship uh, Formula E um, operations. But the product, oh, my God, um, the, the product is making up for it in so many ways. Um, the racing has been so good this year. Like, yeah. I know we're only three races into the season, but it's been so much fun to watch. It has. And we've got a kind of situation which I think I said on Twitter the other day. Um, so Jake Dennis has won one race and finished second in the other two. And he's mm-hmm. sort of, he's sort of I mean, he's always come across as a bit of a Joey from Friends figure to me. And he's, yeah. he's now this is now if if like if Joey from Friends. So the character with the struggles. Um, got uh, got a mansion and a great role and just left the Friends set. It's it's kind of um, mm-hmm. unnerving in some ways, isn't it? It kind of is. I like. I don't know. I I look at Jake Dennis and I do this thing where I ask race car drivers what their daily driver is, and his was a BMW. And I was like, that's kind of like that tracks. Like not to be stereotypical about BMW owners, but they're always in shenanigans. So uh, <laughs> it it seemed. It seemed fitting, um, but it's really nice to see him doing well. It's also really nice to see Andretti doing well. I know they've struggled at the championship, and they haven't had an easy time in like anything else that they've been trying to, you know, compete in, uh, including IndyCar these past few years. So it's it's nice to see that this new formula is working a little bit better for him. Yeah, it, it's always quite amusing when uh, Andretti sort of um, are are put about in the motorsport world as these you know proven winners who can go in, go in anywhere and lay down the law to the other teams, and yet actually they're not proven winners anywhere really, are they? So like yeah, they- like they've done all right. I mean they've they've had their moments, they've had their successes, but they I mean they're they're not top tier. I mean they're they're one of like the top strata in indycar but they're not the top team right now and they haven't been uh it's the same thing in formula e they haven't been but they might they might have pulled something out now uh which is that's kind of nice they they need that when it comes to with their f1 bid uh yeah um by the way it's not an f1 show but do you think their their f1 bid will uh will go ahead with cadillac it's it seems like um it, it seems like the man who's banning political interference mohammed bin sulayam has been trying to lobby politically for them so uh do you think it might happen in the end it's so hard to say because the optimist in me is like yeah absolutely like they'll pull it together um, especially now that they've got Cadillac, that's a pretty strong partnership. And I think Formula One needs to have that level of recognition within the United States in terms of both Andretti and also GM. Uh, at the same time, 
it's Formula One, so I like I don't have confidence that we're going to get past that team barrier um, in terms of them allowing someone else on the grid. So it's 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 kind of a toss up for me right now. Like I just don't know. I, I fully could see it going either way, and I hate like playing the fence on this one, um, but I really could see it going either way. Yeah, it's uh, funny that funny the way things have uh, turned around because F- Formula One used to be the uh, dull, dependable uh, place where things just th- things just happened and got managed, and uh, you know mm-hmm. there, there there was there was maybe a budget cap crisis here and um, you know a um, an illegal engine there, but ge- generally generally things generally things just happened and it was quite a well oiled show. Uh, sort of feels like Formula E has been been the one sort of uh, letting the stuff on the track do the talking, while mm-hmm. F one's turned into a real housewives drama. Um, just very briefly, because um, I I think it it impeaches on Formula E as well, or impinges on Formula E rather. What do what do you make of uh, the um the the attempts by President Ben Sulayam to first of all uh, ban uh, what he calls political interference in the sport, um, or you know drivers making political in- statements without permission, which I, I guess means uh, not making political statements, um, and then on the other hand, kind of trying to trying to rule on Twitter as to what Liberty Media ought to be doing, uh, kind of feels like it's uh, it's it's got. Um, a byproduct or 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 an, or, an, or an upshot for every form of motorsport. So, do do you think Formula One, with the drive to survive factor and with the American money, now has um, enough power to potentially wrest him from the sport? It's a really interesting proposition. I think I think we're. It's going to depend on how this year goes. Um, America is at this tipping point right now in terms of whether or not we go all in on Formula One. There's obviously been a lot of hype here, um, and every form of motorsport in America has also benefited from this. IndyCar and NASCAR numbers are looking up just because people want to know more about what this drive to survive and Formula One nonsense is. Um, But at the same time, F1 is really, really good at shooting itself in the foot in America. And with races, you know, three races, Austin, Miami, and Las Vegas, most of them are very expensive. Um... I think it could go either way. Um, it depends on kind of how these races play out as to whether people are pleased or not with the product. Um, if no one can afford to go to Las Vegas, what's the point of having a race there in the United States to capitalize on an audience, especially considering that race starts at 1 a.m. Eastern time? Mm. Um, it, there's there's a lot of moving parts on that one. Um, I just don't – I think it's going to come down to how this this all plays out this year. Um F1 is kind of turning into a little bit of a drama and, a, as you said, kind of a real housewife situation um, with drama playing out on Twitter and all of that. Um, I, th- I just don't know if we're going to have the the say necessarily in the direction of the sport uh, that that I think we could have if everything were to go well and Formula One generally knew what it was doing regarding America. Well, um, and uh, whether whether for, whether Formula E knows what it's doing full stop is also a question. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously the American angle is interesting as well because uh, uh, Red Hook Brooklyn is not possible this year, and mm-hmm. they they've made the bizarre decision. Uh, I mean, like it's it's a tech hipster city. It's laid back. It's kind of uh, uh, a little bit left field, which Formula E is all of those things, but. 
what do you make of them going to Portland International Raceway? It seems like a bit of a step back from New York to me. Yeah, I, well, I'm really conflicted on it. I think New York was a great opportunity because that, I mean, that brings Formula E to the one, you know, the biggest city in America. Um, but also the issues with Red Hook were the fact that they were capping the number of people who could attend the race at an incredibly low amount um, in, you know, the single thousands, um, which it kind of defeats the point of having a race in a city if no one can actually attend. Um, I understand the move to Portland. It opens up that ability for more people to attend the race. At the same time, though, it's moving Formula E away from its roots as a street circuit series. So I'm kind of, I'm torn. Like personally, I'm really excited. I've been meaning to go to Portland for a really long time, but when it comes to the IndyCar schedule, that race is so far out of the way for me that, um, like I can just go to Texas Motor Speedway and it's right down the road. If I'm going to go to an IndyCar race, that's probably the one I'm going to go to. So Formula E has now become the excuse for me to finally go to Portland and perhaps take a vacation as well as go to the race. But I also, you know, I'm really torn on how that, that, uh, you know, the more permanent race facilities are going to impact the sport. I think it's kind of moving it away, you know, in a direction that I don't necessarily think is the best for what Formula E is trying to accomplish. So I, I've, um, the few times I've been to the States, I've been to the East Coast. I, I've not been mm -hmm. to the West Coast. And the, the so... Um, as 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 a as a non-american you know the th the things you pick up the things you hear about oregon are uh you know tech startups uh hipsters mm -hmm. um uh, microbreweries maybe democrats uh perhaps yep. you know um kind kind of this this kind of um you know don't push me around sort of culture this kind of wish to be mm -hmm. free um is there anything else we should know about portland and oregon that you can maybe tell us as as an american yourself that's the thing is Port Portland and Oregon are two entities. You know, I've never been to Oregon. Um, I've wanted to been to California. I've driven up the coast and I've been to Seattle. Um, but I haven't been to Oregon. All I know is there's probably going to be trees. Um, that's about it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, there's, there's a lot of complex politics happening uh, in Portland right now uh, during the Black Lives Matter movement. There were a lot of... Um, they were taking, you know, people were taking city blocks and kind of turning them into these like no police zones. Um, mm. And they had their own form of government, I believe. Um, I'm not super educated on it, so I can't speak to it beyond that level. Um, but it's a really interesting place where there's a lot of different thinking happening. Um, and it is a it is a, a good place for Formula E because it's a place for experimentation and it's a place for, you know, green movements and liberal politics and things but it's also you know it's not a heavy hitter city when you think of american cities it's no you know it's not san francisco it's not los angeles it's not a dallas um mm. there is you know it's not chicago there are so many other places that i think it would have probably been a little bit more would have made a little bit more sense um but i can understand what it was about Portland that that spoke to the series, um, including the fact that it was 
simpler to get us get a race scheduled there than it was anywhere else yeah look if you're looking at logical venues for a formula e um um race i mean like the the the, the old joke was always well they're all the, um, the, um, all of the tracks are car parks anyway why yep. not bring why not bring back caesar's palace car park this is the perfect series for it i mean you're not honestly you aren't wrong and i don't know why they didn't like they don't consider something like that like it would have been such a strong move if formula e raced in las vegas before formula one did this year like that you know swoop in and take that crown from them i think it would have been a massive hit and i think it would have capitalized on things um the, you know the popularity of open wheel in america right now but they didn't do it um i spoke to jamie Regal, the ceo mm. and it kind of sounded like he was he's been angling for venues that already have an established open wheel presence. So like the entire IndyCar calendar, anything that was a street or road race, um, apparently he consulted with a lot of uh, different different cities and venues about that, um, mm -hmm. including St. Pete in Florida and Toronto up in Canada. Just didn't work out, um, which I think is really unfortunate, but... Well, we'll see. It, we'll see how Portland goes. It it is, and um, you you know it, it is what it is. But at at least at least Portland is. Um, I mean, obviously, um, um, a, a short distance is relative uh, on 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 the North American continent. But um, <laughs> it, it's it's potentially going to get fans from Canada, I suppose, who might be a yes. bit upset that they lost Vancouver last season. So you know, th there yeah. is that. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, so obviously, you spoke to Jamie Weigel. You went to Mexico and. Um, yes. Uh, you you posted quite a nice little sort of comparison photo on Twitter of uh, mm -hmm. you you at your very first race. Um, I I think I think you were wearing um, um, a worn out t shirt and uh, sneakers yep. and shorts, and then mm -hmm. you as VIP on the grid in your most recent race. Um, so yes, your your motorsport journey actually hasn't been super long, has it? You you've sort of gone from yep. there to there in a relatively short time. Yeah. Yeah, it's been it's been very very rapid. Um, I knew exactly what I wanted with my life and kind of dived right into it. So I've been following Formula E since its very first race, and that was largely because I had a crush on Jerome D'Ambrosio, <laughs> um, and was interested in seeing what this electric series could do because it kind of sounded interesting and it kind of sounded silly. Um, and I fell in love with it in that first race and went to Long Beach, you know, that first season, and just kind of threw myself into it. Um, I wrote a little thing on Jalopnik about kind of the, that first race where it was like me and maybe a hundred some other people. Um, I was the only person responding to teams on Twitter. So Mahindra did like a little VIP pass giveaway and mm -hmm. I responded and they were like, you're the, you're the only one who's actually here who responded to the tweet. So you win. <laughs> um, and just got to kind of experience what a paddock was. Um, and since that point, I was like, all right, let's do this. Um, I started running the Formula E fan page for the Americas on Facebook. Uh, I think later that season, maybe the next, um, that was my first credential for a race series was uh, covering that for the Facebook fan page, essentially. And it gave me the kind of the access and the experience of working media at a race in a very low stakes environment because there was obviously like, I didn't have an editor. They had no expectations for me other than show up, make some content and, you know, maybe do a giveaway with some of the goodies that you get at the track. Um, 
And so, yeah, since then it's been, I've been covering it. Um, I've tried to go to a Formula E race at least once every season, but I missed a couple years just because life got in the way. Um, and yeah, now I'm, I'm buddies with the series, I guess. Um, they've deemed me worthy of their VIP credentials um, and had me, they flew me out for the Mexico City E-Pre, which was very, very, very kind of them. Um, they did the same thing last year as well. And I deeply appreciate the the ability to be like out of the, a different, you know, in Formula E in a different country um, because they apparently they value the work that I'm doing. Yeah. And I, there, there is a certain sense in which uh, if you are um, seen seen as uh, see, seen as worthy and appropriate by a sport for a VIP pass, um, mm-hmm. they, they they may be so. I I don't know how true this is, but it, it's it essentially I I can't I can't remember who it was they were talking about, but uh, they 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 said if so and so likes you, they don't see you as a threat. Um, and mm-hmm. um, I ah that's right, it was Alex Ferguson and Arsene Wenger um and and Jose Mourinho. Uh, so it it was football chat, and I just mm-hmm. wonder um do do they do they know that you have a reputation on Jalopnik as a bit of a poster at times and yes (laughs) i've actually i've had i've had some confrontations with the series in the past um i wrote a a story before gen 3 just after the gen 2 era ended like formula e has to get it together or this is going to be the era that kills it Hmm. um they were not happy about that and i could like i could understand why they weren't um it was a well thought out opinion that i you know i had spoken to various people in the paddock who um intended to leave the sport, didn't see a future for it. So that was what I was kind of reporting on was, you know, there's, there's a lot of, it's a big era of transition. Um, They have to take it in the right way. They have to do the right things with it. And, you know, obviously formula U was like, well, yeah, we're going to do that. And I was like, okay, well we, you know, we don't know yet. Um, But it's, it's still nice that, you know, I heard their side out. They heard my side out. They were welcoming um, and, you know, they weren't pleased with it. They still weren't stoked, but they were like, all right, at least, you know, we kind of see where you're coming from. Um, so there's been some, you know, there's been back and forth on that. Um, my goal is never to tear the series down. Hmm. Uh, it is to look critically at what it's doing. And I think they kind of understood that that was what my intention was, was it wasn't like no one watched Formula E anymore. It was, okay, Formula E, you have this massive change, this massive platform now it's up to you to figure out what you're going to do with it um, because a lot of people within the sport itself are wondering where we go next. I, I think the uh, the concern that I would have is, I mean, obviously um, you and uh, Sam Smith from The Race both work for large media organisations, which Formula mm-hmm. E frankly, frankly needs in order to get its message out there. Um, I, I, I wonder if there is uh, maybe an element of messenger shooting going on elsewhere. And um, so so um, if one does not have a large media organization behind behind one, it might be more difficult. I, I very much hope that they are, you know, listening and taking on board the constructive criticism. But uh, I, I sometimes get the impression that they're not as evidenced yeah. by, for example, bringing back essentially a uh, let's talk to the YouTubers thing, which they tried with Voltage, yeah. didn't work out. So what 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 what, uh, what kind of 
picture do you get of the decision making process that's going on there and are they trying to change it currently feels very confused i think um which yeah like i was i was watching the saudi arabia race and i was like i don't it feels like they've got Vernon Kay interviewing celebrities on the grid ahead of the race is kind of the anti-Martin Brundle in Formula One <laughs> um, to say, like, actually, look, we have a guy who knows who these people are and can have conversations with them. But I was like, I I mean, with all due respect, I think Winnie Harlow is great, but also I don't care. Um, this is not what I'm watching this race for. This is not, you know, the time I think for it. Um, there's a lot of emphasis on those kinds of different approaches um and in speaking to jamie regal at a round table in mexico he mentioned that he's trying to take formula e beyond motorsport and beyond sport in general to make it an event that appeals to other people and i really respect that um but at the same time i don't think formula e is necessarily capitalized on the motorsport audience yet there are a lot of people who like motorsport that remain very skeptical of what formula e is doing in part because it kind of waffles between being a motorsport and being something different. Um, and I think that's, it, I feel very confused about where Formula E is going. And I think it kind of does too. We had that very massive change up in branding this year, which I don't, I don't agree with it. I don't like the new logo that they've, they've put out. Um, and I don't think it was necessarily a good idea for a series with you know, it hasn't even completed its, you know, 10 year mark yet. Um, I think it was a little, a little soon for that kind of thing. And especially considering it's a new era, I understand the impetus to want to completely change everything. Um, but I think carrying over that branding would have made sense at the same time, Jamie Regal said that his reasoning for that was the fact that the blue, um, and the white kind of logos and color schemes were very cold and clinical and he wanted something warmer um, I get it. I don't know if it's working. Um, I think Formula E has this issue and it's something that I do too, uh, where it starts something, but doesn't see it to its end. You know, I started crocheting last year and then like hit a point where I just learned how to do it and did it all right. And I made a blanket and then I was like, I'm done. Um, and it kind of feels like that's what is happening with Formula E where it gets some success and it's like, okay, cool. Like everyone really loves the theme song. Actually, let's change it. Um, so yeah. it's it 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 just doesn't seem like they have kind of a a cohesive focus as to what the target audience is. Uh, if anything, that target audience right now is way too broad. And um, I I wonder if this cosmetic rebranding that uh, um, you you seem to share my opinion on actually I wonder mm -hmm. how much of it is down to maybe Jamie Rigel and the new crew wanting to break with the Alejandro years and show that they are different people in some ways. Yeah, and I mean I totally respect and understand that, but Alejandro is still deeply involved in the series. Like he was in Mexico as well. He was available for interviews and conversations. Um. I just, I, I get it. Like you want to kind of show that you've grown up, um, but I think that you need to have a, a direction and a reasoning behind why that is. Uh, and we, I don't think we've really seen that reasoning. At least I personally don't understand that direction and that reasoning. So it's, it's interesting. It's an interesting time to be a fan of the sport and it's an interesting time, you know, just, just to watch it see how it's been evolving 
It is an interesting time. Um, by, by the way, before we move on, I'm so pleased that Mexico mm-hmm. City was the season opener because oh, that, me too. It, it's it, um, I, and I, I don't I don't want to go overboard on proper tracks because I, I, I hear this from petrol heads all the time on Twitter. They should race on proper tracks and it'd be so much better. No, it wouldn't be. But Mexico City yeah. is the exception because you you've actually got a, you've actually got that enclosed stadium section and you've got mm-hmm. uh, most of the time not this time because i think they were afraid to uh, really go hard racing and potentially break a gen 3 car in the first race yeah. but usually you've got really good racing there and um, mm-hmm. at, at least you've got really good vantage points um what did you make of mm-hmm. it as a spectator i i love that track so much um i went for the first time last year and it I mean, it obviously blows away every other Formula E track that I've been to. Um, I've been to Long Beach, New York, Montreal, and I went to Battersea the first year. Uh, And the nature of a street circuit means you can't really see a whole lot, which I get. That's part of what the sport is. Um, But like, there's something so nice about sitting with a vantage point of like a significant portion of the track. Um, This year I got to sit facing the stadium section. So I was in a, in a suite that was above the garages. So I was still looking at the stadium, but I wasn't sitting in it. Um, it was just absolutely gorgeous. Like you just don't get that view in most of the other play uh, venues that formula E races at, which it's so unfortunate, uh, because that's the, like, it was so nice to see them. It was almost a bird's eye view. You're up so, so high. Um, it's just so cool. I, I wish, even if they continue the street circuit thing, like they should do something where they like commandeer some balconies or something so that there's really cool places for people to be able to watch. Oh my God. Yeah. Um, or, or just film it from Charles Leclerc's flat or something. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm, M- Monaco is the, is the perfect place to try that out if, if they can possibly mm-hmm. afford to, you know, rent a balcony or a boat for the weekend. But by the way, just thinking about that, do you remember the time when Formula One, sorry, um, ITV on for, um, the, the British Formula One broadcaster at that time uh, in on the in their first year in 1997, they rented a boat to do their uh, punditry from. And I think the main presenter, Jim Rosenthal, was actually sick off the side of the boat during a broadcast. I've never actually heard of that. Uh, 1997, I was one year old. So oh, wow. <laughs> I was not watching it. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Uh, t- talk, talk about talk about a way to age me. Okay, never mind. <laughs> I'm going to have to go look that up on YouTube now, though. Oh no no that's that um, yeah it it was it was it was quite as we didn't actually see him throwing up but we did see him looking quite green uh, in one of the um, um, pieces to camera. Oh, that's um, and uh, of course you know the other problem is filming on a boat it moves so um, so you ended up with a sort of Liam Neeson style shaky cam effect while they were filming. That's punditry. so funny. Yeah. The Michael Bay like version of Formula One coverage. <laughs> Michael Bay should do a Formula One movie. You know what? I would watch the hell out of that. <laughs> Actually, I want to. I, I want to watch an F one car jump through like some flames. Like that would be sick. What would you make of Michael Bay doing a Formula E movie? Because on the one hand, it would work, but on the other hand, mm-hmm. so many of his special effects and second unit uh, bits re- require a- an internal combustion engine to explode. How is he going to do that with Formula E? You just got to have other things exploding at the cars. You can yeah. make this work. Or or maybe like Formula E cars uh, transforming into robots. 
Yeah, exactly. See, for I could see a Formula E car transforming into a robot. That would be pretty sick. Yeah, I, actually, I, I used to be a huge Transformers fan, um, mm-hmm. uh, and um, I, I can, I can imagine like uh, J- Jake Dennis um, um, failing to start the race because he couldn't get his car to transform in time. Oh my gosh! Oh, that's so funny. There's so much potential here, Michael Bay. I know you're listening. Get in yeah. on this. Um, and uh, one more thing on uh, on current Formula E as well. I, I feel like the Gen three era has changed things because in in Gen two we got so used to the kind of randomized field and the uh, mm-hmm. the, the, the this sort of um, lottery of qualifying that uh, we we just got this impression that I got this impression anyway that you would never again get anyone dominating the way Sebastian Buemi did in season two, for example. But now we've got Porsche powered cars. Mm-hmm. Uh, seemingly able to streak ahead uh, like their Vettel in the Red Bull in 2012 um, uh, or 2011 rather um, it's it's incredible to see isn't it and mm-hmm. like is this a result of the Gen 3 era just catching the other manufacturers on the hop or is it a result of Porsche really wanting to potentially go out with a bang do you think I do think Porsche wants to go out with a bang um, they obviously have high competition um as another you know fellow german automaker did pretty well in formula e i think porsche really wants to see if they can outdo what mercedes had done um i also think we're still in that that interesting kind of learning curve of the season uh when you think back to you know even formula one last year there was such a learning curve in those first few races where certain teams got it right and certain teams got it wrong i think we're going to see that kind of even out a little bit. Um, these first two, three races were really, really rapidly back to back. Formula East, the calendar is usually a little bit more spread out. Um, you know, there's there's usually like a race to start the season and then we twiddle our thumbs for a month while we get things sorted out and we wait for the next one. Um, so to have them within two weeks of each other, I think changed a little bit about what we might expect in terms of that that diversity because no one had a chance to really sort things out after after Mexico. Um so if you realize like oh we're not doing well because of xyz there's not enough time to go back and develop it. So I think we'll start to see a little bit more of that um that changing um but again like the next few races are still pretty pretty rapid so we'll have to see. I I liked I'd hope that by the end of the season we'll see a little bit more diversity um as more powertrain manufacturers get it together and realize what they need to do to challenge Porsche. Yeah, and uh, Pascal Wehrlein, I felt, was done very dirty by Mercedes in his oh, yeah. uh, ju- in, in his junior days, and uh, even when he when he made the transition to Formula E, uh, they they held they held him back for one race because of his contract at the time. So there mm-hmm. are lots of reasons to be happy why he's finally in a dominant car at the front of a uh, at the front of a series. You know, for the first time since he dominated DTM in his only season there. So mm-hmm. uh, it's great great to see. I just uh, um. I, um, personally, uh, I wish he'd answered the question that I put to him in a press conference all those years ago, but I'm not going to hold it against him. He's a, he's a fantastic <laughs> driver. Oh, you win some, you lose some. Well, absolutely. And um, I mean, he, he is the kind of driver who is uh, easy to like because of his speed on track, isn't he? He's, he's, he's yeah. just an amazing driver. Yeah. And as far as I know, he hasn't done anything terribly offensive. So that's always a nice bonus. Actually, you know, um, most of the Formula E fields haven't. And talking of someone who has, but, you know, seems to have grown out of it, um, 
what, what do you what do you what do you make of the reboot of Dan Tictum's career? It's uh, it's something to see, isn't it? It really is. Um, I'm still a little skeptical on him. I will. I hold these grudges forever. First, I had one against Mitch Evans because he said something about women in motorsport in like 2015, and Ooh. I think I'm just now getting over it. <laughs> so, um, it's it's fascinating to see Dan Tictum doing really well. Like I knew I knew he was a good driver. Um, it was just a little bit of his personality that I didn't enjoy. Um, but it's also really great to see Neo 333 doing well. Um, they've they've been absolute garbage. So <laughs> <laughs> it's it's nice to see them doing doing well. Yeah, and uh, they, they they've got a great little team. They've been working on that powertrain for a long time, and uh, it 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 just doesn't have the regen of you know your your Porsches um, or um, your um, uh, McLaren Nissans. But uh, I I still feel like. Uh, mm. Uh, I, I, st- I still feel like if competitors crash into each other or if, if some people make an attack mode error or something, then uh, th- they're there to pick up the pieces. And uh, mm-hmm. Tictum has really surprised me. He's kicked on because I thought that binning Oliver Turvey would be a problem for them. But, you know, he's really taken up that mantle of being team leader and uh, he's, he's mm-hmm. done a great job so far. It, he has done a really good job. He seems to kind of to have evolved into a more mature version of himself which is really nice to see absolutely um talking talking of evolving and uh talking there's no good way to make a segue to this but uh, (laughs) we've we've got you on or i've got you on because uh this is a what this is a one person band here to do the formula e dream draft now the other person who's done this is uh now wtf1 contributor dre harrison who came on last year dre oh boy yeah, yeah. So you, you're 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 stepping into some stepping into some well some well used shoes there, as it were. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, so he he picked some really great choices, and he ended up going with, I think, a Jensen Button Joseph Newgarden combination and Ooh. the and the Honda Works team. So interesting. Yeah, and I could I could totally see a Honda Works team coming into Formula E, but only if they call it E Honda and have a Street Fighter meme. <laughs> oh my god, that'd be incredible! <laughs> yeah. But I, I I don't want to spoil your choices. So essentially, for um the Formula E Dream Draft is um. It, the idea is that uh, we pick a Formula E expansion franchise. Um, you're the team owner and you can only pick people for your team who are not currently in Formula E. They can, however, have taken part in the category beforehand. Because, you know, if, if you're not allowed to pick X Formula E participants, then it's a, it's a very it's a very it's a very thin field you can pick from. Mm-hmm. So you'll need to name a glitzy investor stroke figurehead, something like DiCaprio at Venturi, for example, in the early days. Uh, team principal, uh, chief engineer, two race drivers, a test driver and a powertrain supplier. And w- we might even get into talking about sponsors later if we have any ideas for that. So it, it's. <laughs> It's it's a unique idea if you've never heard of Desert Island Discs, uh, and um, uh, no need to worry about budgets because. Um, but it, you know we're trying to make this choice reasonably believable because that means mm-hmm. that uh, the that means the people playing along at home can imagine it. So, uh, Elizabeth Blackstock, let's hear first of all who have you got to be your team investor or team figurehead. All right, I've I've selected some choices that I think are a little out of the way, but also very believable. So my investor here is going to be Paris Hilton. 
Uh, she's <laughs> she's had her she's dipped her toe into motorsport before. She had, I believe it was a Moto Two team. Um, she's you know she's in and around. I could see it. I could easily see her being like, I want to do something good for the world. What can I do? Here's a race car series that's you know it's eco friendly. Let's let's send it. So I that's who I'm picking. I'm picking Paris Hilton. I think she would be a She's got the motorsport chops. She knows what she's doing. Uh, I don't think she would have anything to do with the team other than showing up to a race and looking cute and giving the money. But that's all right. That's all I need. So not so much Emily in Paris, more Paris in EV. Correct. Yes, exactly. Mm. Okay. Um, this is a really great choice, actually, because I, I think Paris Hilton has that sort of that that that's that sort of veneer of two thousands star power. Mm -hmm. She was, you know, one of the world's most recognisable names. And she's, um, I, I don't wish to, you know, what the heck, I don't wish to disparage Formula E any more than I've already done, but she, her, <laughs> her star has probably fallen far enough to potentially be interested in Formula E um, on an equal level now, hasn't it? Yeah, I th and I think it's interesting in the sense that, like, she comes from a big family name. Um, there is, she still carries a lot of star power. And, you know, speaking of people who have matured as they've gotten older, she's one of those people um, where she no longer kind of presents herself as the dumb blonde. Um, she has worked to be like, I'm actually educated. I have opinions. I have thoughts that are well-researched. Um, so I think, like, she's kind of a, uh, you know, out of left field choice. But I could see this easily being a way for her to kind of put her name back out on the global stage in a new way, while also kind of doubling down on that insistence that she, you know, she is a legitimate person who has legitimate interests, who has well-reasoned and thought-out opinions. Yeah, and actually... If she were looking to get into the sustainability game, and I, I have no idea if she maybe already does business in that area, uh, but um, if, if this is her first foray into the world of, you know, sustainability and uh, uh, I guess what some people might call woke marketing, then um, mm. it's it's a good place to go because everything's done for you. It's it's not like yeah. you have to it's not like you have to start your own car factory or you, you know um mm -hmm. or, or or you know take a helicopter trip to the congo to source cobalt for batteries uh it's 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 very much a case of you know finding some engineers who can do the job and um you know working with maybe an existing team who wants some investment and then bringing the investment mm -hmm. exactly like she doesn't need to you know she's not going to be one of those people who's hands-on with the daily running of the team uh but she you know she's she's got something to contribute she's got she would have a lot of value and i think formula e would benefit from it i think she would benefit from formula e i agree with that and so paris hilton is our is our investor figurehead and mm -hmm. um, i i would i would love to see her in the fe paddock i, I <laughs> yeah i i also also love to see the uh, look look on alejandro's face when he has to congratulate her on her first win in the pit garage oh, as well it would be beautiful i would want to see it just for that <laughs> yeah who knows maybe they've already met um anyway uh so your your team principal now um yes. I, i'm i'm intrigued by this because uh you have covered all kinds of motorsports through uh through jalopnik and uh, through through your journalism and so you've probably spoken to just about every team principal of note so i'm interested to know who you think would be the most competent person to do the job and also you know maybe someone who's willing to take that step across to fe world 
I'm picking Beth Peretta. Um, she has, she's been trying to get into the Indy 500 for multiple years uh, with a, you know, she calls it a female forward team and she's succeeded these last, last, not last year, but the year before, uh, and then fielded Simona Di Silvestro in a handful of races on road courses last year. I love Beth Peretta. Um, she is so funny. She's very personable. Um, but she also knows how to run a good team and she knows how to, to conduct business. And I like, I just think she would be a great pick for a formula E team, uh, for a principal because she, she has like this really interesting charisma about her where she's like, she's so American. Um, you meet some of, you know, other team principals, especially from international disciplines and they're very, um, put together, like they're very PR friendly answers. Uh, Beth Pratt is the absolute opposite. She's a delight. First time I interviewed her, we had 10 minutes scheduled and we ended up talking for an hour and a half, um, about childhood trauma of all things. Um, okay. I think she'd be a great one. She's like, she's so, she would bring something I think different to the formula E paddock that I think it needs where like, when I think back to formula E in its early days, there was a lot of fun like i remember pr stints where like drivers went and took pictures with dogs at a dog shelter and stuff um and it was like it was cute it was that kind of like personable uh down to earth we're not afraid to you know hang out with normal people and do endearing things uh, i think beth Prada would be a really great lead for something of that sort where it's you know we're bringing formula e around to that that like you know, I think it could do to not be so glitzy. Uh, I think Formula One could, you know, the same same principle. I think every racing series could could take a step back uh, and take itself a little less seriously, which is part of why I think Beth Prado would be great. Um, she's just she's a great person. She's so friendly. Um, she's a great team leader. I was fascinated by Beth Perez's story because I asked a couple of the Motorsport 101 guys, you know, if they knew anything mm -hmm. about her when when Beth Perez racing uh, first uh, first tried out for the Indy 500 grid, um, and they they said a lot of good things about her. Um, I believe she comes from a business background rather than a motorsport background, doesn't she? Yes, she. Oh God, I can't remember. She came. I believe it was Cadillac Racing. Uh, she hmm. she started in the automotive industry. Either way, uh, not necessarily with the intention of getting into motorsport, but that was just kind of something that her path led her to, um, which like, it's, it's a great aspect of it because she's now so well embedded within motorsport that she has a lot of connections. Uh, but she also has those industry connections that I think are just as important uh, in the business connections that, um, you, I mean, you need to have those when you're running a, a racing team, you have to have someone that you can reach out to for sponsorship or for, you know, promotional purposes or something that's, you know, not directly related to putting a car on track. And uh, th th there are a number of women team principals in motorsport now. I, I mean, obviously, Susie mm -hmm. Wolf was the was the most prominent. But uh, I I really was impressed when I met uh, Michaela Saruti, the team principal at the time of yeah. uh, of Romeo Ferraris over in the e touring cars, because um, she, obviously she she was a driver. She raced in Formula E for Trulli, but uh, um, she mm -hmm. she's she's gone over there and uh, she just seemed to totally totally have everything locked down. You know. Yeah, it's, I don't know, it's so nice 
to see these women doing cool things. Like it was nice to see Susie Wolf and she was my like initial choice for team principal because she's not in the sport anymore. And I was like, no, I want to think a little bit deeper, a little bit more outside the box. Um, so it, it's nice. Like one of Beth Preda's talking points, I think is that the more faces and voices you bring to a table, the more perspectives you'll understand. Uh, and the, you know, the way you'll be able to look at things will necessarily be different because everyone has a different idea. If you get like 10 dudes all from the same background, roughly the same age, like they're probably going to look at a problem and tackle it the same way. Um, you get a little bit of diversity in there, just, just a smidge, you know, a white woman is not the pinnacle of diversity, but it'll do, it's a little bit better. Um, you know, you'll get a little bit something else. Yeah, definitely. And um, when when she put together Beth Peretta Racing, you mentioned it was a female forward team. I was actually under the impression yes. that uh, she was looking to hire an all women pit crew. Was that was is is that correct? Yes. Or, uh, yeah. Yeah, she did. Uh, yeah. The pit crews are women. I'll, many of them were not um, formally trained. They were. How do I put? Like they 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 had other careers. Basically, they they just joined for the Indy 500, essentially. Uh, they were people who worked in sports or something different. Um, you know, they were, they were the athletes. Um, the, the female forward aspect of it is that there are men on the team. Um, you know, some of the engineers, some of the people in the garage who did the mechanic work and whatnot. Um, hmm. Beth Prada aimed to hire as many women as possible, but especially as she collaborated with other teams, um, with I believe with Penske and then with Ed Carpenter Racing, there were men who kind of came in and helped integrate that team into the larger fold of whatever bigger team they came from. Uh, so there there were men. Uh, that was why she doesn't call it all women, but the all of the tire changers and stuff, those were all women. And I, I absolutely think that Formula E needs another American team as well. I, I, I think that yes. uh, she, she'd be the perfect principal for it. And um, when when I've heard her being interviewed, and, you know, bear in mind from my background, this this is uh, a compliment. Uh, she came across a bit like the people I'd heard on the Pod Save America podcast who were kind of, mm-hmm. pro, you know, progressive Democratic mayoral candidates, that kind of thing. She, she seemed mm-hmm. to have a bit of that, you know, she was businesslike and she knew what she was talking about, but at the same time time she was able to sort of break out and uh, you know use some humor occasionally yeah she's like i said she's really fun like she's she's someone i really enjoy interviewing and i'm like i'm a pretty nervous person uh, and you i also am aware that when you talk to race car drivers or people in motorsport they're very well trained in the answers that they give uh regarding like you know you're, you're schooled in the pr friendly ways to put things Sometimes it kind of feels like Beth Peretta strays from that. Like, you know, she's aware of what she's supposed to be saying, but the way she frames it uh, at least makes you feel like you're being included in a conversation. You're not just being talked at through a press release, which is really nice. Yeah. Um, and uh, so great choice there. So we've got Paris Hilton and Beth Peretta running the team mm-hmm. um, below her. So um, for your chief engineer, I'm really intrigued which way you will go, because being a chief engineer in a um, in in a crew of twenty for Formula E is very different to being chief engineer for a Formula One operation, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, got no idea how big an IndyCar or NASCAR operation is, but I imagine not bigger big. than uh, not big. Okay, so maybe mm-hmm. so maybe there could be some some kind of transfer between there and Formula E. But who have you picked for your chief engineer anyway? I have picked Lena Gade. She is a British female engineer. Um, she's 
competed primarily as an engineer for the World Endurance Championship and IndyCar. Um, and she is the first woman to win the World Endurance Championship's Man of the Year Award, which is one of my my personal <laughs> favorite stats. Um, but yeah, she, she's worked with Audi. Um, she's worked with all sorts of different operations and has largely been pretty successful. Um, she was James Hinchcliffe's uh, engineer for a while in 2018 oh, wow. at okay. Schmidt-Peterson and IndyCar. So she hasn't done a whole ton since then. She's kind of moved into more of an amb- um, ambassador role uh, for like the FIA Women in Motorsport programs and whatnot. But um, I think she'd come back for Formula E. I think she would she would take that that uh, that dive, especially if, as you can tell, I'm kind of putting together a female forward operation myself. So. I think uh, I think she'd be a good a good fit. Which is exactly what what FE needs, and what, mm-hmm. what, what when they did the uh, all women uh, um, um, new driver test in Diria, mm-hmm. I I honestly thought that was the start of something big, and it's not even no. happened for Jamie Chadwick yet. So uh, I know. Uh, I I I I don't I I don't want to provide any spoilers for your drivers, but I I have an idea, a kernel of an idea in my head where you might be going, and I hope you do. So let's see. Um, but uh, Lena Gage, yeah, um, good choice from what you've told me. And why why do you th- if she was so successful, why why do you think someone that successful steps aside to an ambassadorial role? It seems like maybe you know she is someone who enjoys getting her hands dirty. I mean, she definitely is, but she's also. I don't want to say she's old. She's not old. She's like 45. Um, Mm. But I totally understand that switch from wanting to, you know, traveling all the time, constantly having your hands in multiple buckets. Um, While she was doing her, her, while she was serving as engineer, she was also leading, like she was an ambassador for formula student. Um, And like, I think she probably feels that she can do something more uh, within those roles, which is, it makes sense um, if I didn't want to travel anymore and talk to a bunch of angry race car drivers, I'd probably join like the FIA Women in Motorsport Council or something too. Yeah, just just something that's uh, um, come up in my mind actually while we've been talking about her, which is um, what is your opinion on the sort of direction of travel with the W Series and also with uh, the the FIA planning a sort of um, um, ju- junior formula for women series, which seems to be exactly what they had with W Series, but they ignored. Um, what what's going on there? And was W Series ever a good idea? Uh, can something like that be a good idea in the future? I liked W Series because I wanted to see women in cars, but I never really agreed with the base principle that women should be segregated and put into their own series, especially because the prize package for W series was extremely minimal compared to what you need to get into any other form of motorsport. Like $500,000 for winning the championship is cool. That's also not enough to convincingly buy you a seat anywhere. Like maybe one of the lower tiers of IndyCar, uh, you could convince someone to to give you that for 500K. Um, Formula Academy or whatever they've called that has a little bit more of the, the vibe I was kind of hoping W Series would have in the sense that the teams are all teams that are associated with other junior Formula categories. 
Uh, so theoretically, you could have, say, a Carlin in the Formula Academy series and have that woman who wins the championship with Carlin move up to Formula 2 with Carlin. Um, at the same time, I don't believe they've actually announced any prizes for Formula Academy yet, um, for you know what you're going to get for competing, and you still have to pay to compete, which was one of the benefits of W Series that you didn't. Um, so I'm, I'm still born all over the place. Um, I actually didn't think Formula Academy was going to happen. I thought it was firmly virtue signaling on Formula mm. One's part. Uh, so the fact that it's coming apparently uh, is is still a little bit surprising. Um, but I'm I'm just not convinced. Like I just don't think that strategy works like i just don't think putting women into their own separate sphere and saying okay do your own thing is ever going to be effective because no one has any incentive to care um we should be doing something similar to red bull's junior program but with women where we help field them from go-karts all the way up through the ladder uh wherever they you know want to end up i think that would be a lot more successful i i just thought they were reinventing the wheel i i didn't understand yeah. why why they would chronically ignore w series even sometimes not um um not make sure make sure it was properly televised when it was on the f1 bill and mm -hmm. and then and then they would uh, um um create their own series essentially doing the same thing to all intents and purposes i i, I hope it works but to to me yeah it, it came it came across as um as them wanting to be seen to be doing something and i i, I mm -hmm. hope i'm wrong I also hope I'm wrong. Like, I hope it turns out to be something like the prizes are significant somehow or, you know, whatever the case may be. I want it to have some substance to it. I'm not confident it will because I know what the F FIA and F1 are all about. Um, but we shall see. We'll sh I'm keeping my fingers crossed. Well, yeah, yeah. And, um, I, and another thing that W Series did really well was it, it, it gave a uh, place in a race car to um, open the LGBT drivers, which uh, mm -hmm. other se other series just, or at least other other uh, international series just just haven't done. I mean, Sarah Moore and Abby Eaton and uh, Jess Hawkins have been yeah. um, have 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 been icons for the community, and I, I hope they continue to get drives elsewhere if W Series uh, uh, is not the place to be or doesn't continue. I definitely agree. That was one of my favorite parts of the series. Like there was so much that W series brought to the table that we just weren't seeing in any other sport in terms of diversity. But uh, okay, yeah. good. So we're on to the exciting bit now, the drivers. And uh, bearing yes. in mind what, what, we, what we've talked about, uh, I imagine you've got quite an exciting driver pairing. So who have you got for your number one driver? It's got to be someone with... I would imagine a bit of top level race experience, but as we've seen before, um, you know, w with Jake Dennis, for example, with uh, um, with um, um, plenty of other people, you can go into Formula E and be very fast right away. Uh, if you uh, Jake Hughes as well is the other one I'm thinking of. Um, you can go into Formula E and be very fast uh, if you have the right driving style and the right stuff. So who have you chosen for your number one driver? Well, I have picked two former W Series drivers, which I don't think is surprising to anyone, but I've not picked who you think I've picked. Uh, oh. My number one driver is Chloe Chambers, who was uh, Jamie Chadwick's teammate last year at Jenner Racing. Okay. Um, she is an American racer. She's awesome. She was 
when she was 16, she set the world record for the fastest vehicle slalom in a Porsche. Um, she's since gotten into open wheel racing. She hasn't been exactly like overwhelmingly stellar, but she hasn't been terrible either. And that's largely because she's still pretty young. Um, I believe she just turned 18. So it's it, an odd choice for a first driver, uh, slightly less experienced than I think most, most people would expect. But at the same time, I think, um, Formula E gets to be a fun proving ground for people who don't have that level of experience. Uh, you don't need to have raced in Formula One to race in Formula E. And she has open wheel experience with the W Series and some of the kind of regional uh, race series in the United States. Hmm. So. so Chloe Chambers is not a name I know an awful lot about. Um, but mm -hmm. uh, I, I, I do want to ask about the obvious elephant, elephant in the room because um, her teammate at Jenna Racing, Jamie yeah. Chadwick, um, uh, is is the one with the three W Series titles and the uh, the um, overwhelming race pedigree compared to her. Um, was part of the reason for you not picking her because of some of her comments in the media about trans athletes? Uh, or yeah. Was it, it was partly that, okay. Yeah, like I, I have a lot of respect for her as an athlete um, and I think she's a great racing driver, but I also can see perhaps if she was stuck between a rock and a hard place with Jenner racing. Um, the Jenner family is not exactly known for being the most trans friendly, despite mm. everything. Um, like Caitlyn Jenner kind of believes she's the only trans person that should have rights in a lot of ways. Um, and so it was kind of it was really disheartening to hear Jamie Chadwick, you know, echoing some of those sentiments. Um, I like, I hope she wasn't being serious, but that it, again, it's one of those things where it's like, I'm going to kind of hold a grudge on this forever. Uh, Mitch Evans once said something about Susie Wolf or whatever. And like, I, again, every time I still see him, I'm like, oh, I don't, I don't know about this guy. So it's going to take a while for her, I think, to kind of get on my good side again, which is a silly thing to say about someone mm -hmm. that I don't know. Um, but I want to. I want a team. I want my team to be good, upstanding people who care about other people and want everyone to succeed. Um, and I think Chloe Chambers is a good, good option for that one, as opposed to her teammate. Um, yeah, it well, is a difficult. It was a difficult choice. Like I wanted. I, I like Jamie Chadwick's work ethic. I like what she has done. I like her. You know, it's great to see that she's been successful, and it sucks that she's not been given an opportunity to race in anything top-notch um but also I, I'm, I'm hiring you know part on skill part on morals <laughs> well yeah and uh, at the end of the day if if Jamie Chadwick wished to disavow the comments uh, after she um mm -hmm. I, I don't believe she's part of uh, the Jenna racing organization now is she so she, she I don't could, think so so she, she could, could have just could easily say something about that yeah, yeah she could address uh, it and um I I happened to see a documentary last week called the trans list which has um, Caitlyn Jenner as one of the participants and um um and I I kind of got a um, uh, an, an impression of Caitlyn Jenner being something of an outlier in terms of the trans community with many of her views and mm -hmm. I I, yeah while I was extremely sceptical that Jamie Chadwick hadn't been kind of coerced into making the comments uh, everyone has agency and mm -hmm. everyone has the ability to educate themselves on the issues mm -hmm. is, is, is my opinion and yeah. I, I just I just think uh, um 
I, I just wish that uh, um, that Jamie Chadwick had um, uh, either looked into the issue a bit more or mm-hmm. had had said, I'm not at liberty to comment on that and um, yeah. ask the interviewer to move on because yeah. uh, it's 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 really left a sting on her reputation, I think, in many ways. It really has. There were so many people, myself included, who were openly disappointed when those comments came out. Um and I, I think racing drivers obviously like racing drivers are there to race, but they have a responsibility to be educated about the context in which they're racing. Um so when you get people like Daniel Ricardo who are like, Yeah, I don't care about politics, like that's unacceptable in my view. And especially with someone like Jamie Chadwick who like even if you've never considered uh you know the experience of a transgender person before like perhaps you would want to look that up or learn more about it when you join a team that is run by a trans woman like i think that should be something that you just do um Mm. it should be part of your research process for why you join that team and it was really disheartening to see that like either she just she she was looking at the wrong side of things or she didn't have the education that would have enabled her to make a you know a cohesive statement that act- accurately reflects her beliefs um but it it was just like oh like it yeah. i don't know it's so it's so weird because like Caitlyn Jenner is a trans turf and it's like how do you how do you live like that it just blows my mind um well i i think i think we could spend an entire podcast talking about yeah. that and it, it's it's a it's it's a, it's a fascinating issue particularly for someone like myself who's trying to educate myself on the issue mm-hmm. as well but uh, um it's it's also an issue where if you put a foot wrong you will be potentially eaten by one half mm-hmm. or another of the internet as well yeah and i think it's fully reasonable especially as someone ascending in their career to say i don't want to touch on this issue um i don't want to comment on your question that's i would understand that um it's it you know it it is what it is it's not an easy situation especially when you're again trying to market yourself to the entire world um but for sure but uh so tell me a bit more about chloe chambers have you interviewed her and what is she like as a person out of the cockpit uh i have interviewed her she was very she's i i I got a sense that she was very nervous um when i interviewed her she had just turned 17 uh she was doing the interview at school at high school um like she's she's super cool like she's she was born in china she is an american citizen hmm. um she's like she's done all sorts of cool stuff she got she has a black belt in karate um like she's just one of those people who like has done everything and just wanted to be in go karting because that was something that her dad did was autocrossing she wanted to be part of that too um and it's so nice to like talk to younger women who have passion and who haven't like been jaded by the world yet. Um, so I like I'd love to see her doing doing more. Like I'd love to see her breaking more world records and like, competing in Formula E, for example. When was the moment in her racing career when you thought, you know, um, this girl's got talent; she's going to go a long way? When she set Porsche record. Um, doing the slaloms like it's 
oh, I was covering records, Jalopnik, like just kind of weird, fun car records. And that was one that I covered. And it was like, it's so cool to see a teenager with these ties doing these kinds of things. Um, like she obviously has enough passion that this is what she she's, she's choosing to slalom a Porsche and be the fastest person in the world at it. Like that takes dedication. That's not just something you get in the car and do. Um, I knew at that point she had a lot of potential, but she hadn't really gotten past karting at that point. So uh, it it was kind of cool to see that and to you know to have followed her this this far, which is like two years on. Um, where net, she is competing in open wheel racing, she has progressed past karting, um, and she's she's learning. Like she's she's not you know winning races suddenly, but she was finishing and competing and having great battles. Let's go on to your number two driver, anyway. All right, my number two is Juju Noda. That is the one I was going to ask about. Excellent. All right. <laughs> I, I, uh, I, 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 yeah, really like, I really like Juju Noda. I think she's she's got so much potential mm-hmm. and she seems like a great personality as well. Yeah, she does. It, like, she's so... I don't know. I, I, I'm not normally in awe of racing drivers when I, like, am around them. But when you put me in front of, like, younger women who are doing stuff, for some reason, I, like, I can't handle it. Um, but, like, Juju Noda is one of those where... I'm like, you are just so cool. Like, you are so young. You are so quick. You know what you want, and you are pursuing it with a passion. And, like, it's so it's so cool to see. And I would love to see her in Formula E. And, like, I know my team, that makes my team, like, super young. Neither of them are in their 20s. Um, but, I, like, I think we need to have that next generation kind of happening in Formula E. We have a lot of drivers in this sport who are like they've been racing for a while they've come from other disciplines we have a lot of former f1 drivers people coming from sports car endurance racing like i I would love to see younger people getting into it like having this be the place that they go not the place they end up the place that they choose to go Mm. Yeah, and we we kind um, I I know you said that you haven't still forgiven him yet, but uh, we we kind mm-hmm. of saw that with 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 Mitch Evans. He decided to yeah. double down on Formula E rather than race in other sports as well. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, we we do have a th- we, we do have a sort of reverse Benjamin Button thing going on in Formula E, where a lot of the drivers um, I assume are much older than they really are. So, for example, Jean Eric Verne I think celebrated his thirtieth birthday a couple of years ago. I thought, my God, I thought he was at least 33 already um (laughs) i mean he's 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 a very good looking man objectively but but he also looks knackered most of the time doesn't he he really does i mean that man's been through it all i can't really i can't really fault him for that like when he was in f1 he was starving himself to the point of passing out after races so like Mm. i get why he's perhaps aged beyond his years um but it, it feels like everyone's gone through gone through the ringer before they get to Formula E. So it would be nice to see like someone being brought up in that environment almost, as opposed to like coming to it in relief after leaving a really cutthroat kind of garbage atmosphere somewhere else. Yeah. And same thing with Stoffel van Dorn. I mean, obviously mm-hmm. he's, he, 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 he's nowhere near like as, um, as weather beaten as, uh, as Jeff yeah. is these days, but <laughs> I always see him as much older than he really is. I don't like. I don't know. 
I look at Stoffel and I just like I feel like I can't age him if that makes sense. Like he's timeless mm. in a, mm. in a lot of like I, I look at him and I'm like you could be 23 years old, but you could also be 37, and I have no sense of like <laughs> in between. Well, I, I'm I'm sure I'm I'm sure I'm sure that's a good thing, you know. And I'm I'm, yeah. I'm sure I'm sure when he's 40 and looks 25, he'll be thanking the stars for that. <laughs> I would be. <laughs> Definitely, I think I, I believe me. I would be as well. Um, <laughs> um, uh, or, or or would have been as the case. Anyway, uh, moving on. So uh, you've got your two race drivers, Chloe Chambers mm-hmm. and Juju Noda. Brilliant choices, uh, in my opinion. Yeah, definitely. And do you think things will be different a few years down the line? I would like to think so. Um, I mean, even from the time that I have first gotten into motorsport until now, um, that's been under 10 years, there's been a pretty significant sea change in the way that women are perceived in the sport um, and the way that we are talking about them. I think the fact that there are large scale conversations about the place of women in motorsport happening within uh, organizations like the FIA and that the FIA is saying, we're going to do something like formula Academy. That would have been unthinkable like five years ago, but the fact that it's happening now, I think like it signals good things. I don't think all of the priorities are in the right place necessarily at the moment, but we're getting there. Uh, We're having the conversation. We're talking about it as a, as a, possibility and we're seeing women have opportunities that put them kind of closer to the you know the top tiers of motorsport like formula e indycar uh nascar formula one we're getting there i think I i think five years from now we'll i don't know that we'll we'll have you know a total mental shift and say that women are going to be great and we need to have them all over the place but i think we'll at least be closer I just want to float an idea because uh, you've already said that uh, or, or you said before we started recording that you are so consumed by cars that you don't really have time for other sports. Yeah. But um, I, I have been reading about the Rooney rule, which is uh, for anyone who doesn't follow the NFL, um, a rule that says that any NFL head coach or assistant coach vacancy uh, must be properly advertised and uh, they must guarantee an interview to, um, to at least one uh, african-american or minority applicants which hmm. seems seems like a really progressive step for the nfl um and hasn't really been followed outside of the northern american continent i don't know maybe, maybe yeah. i believe the nhl ice hockey does something similar although uh maybe corrected on that but so what i'm thinking is Mm-hmm. This this probably wouldn't happen in Formula One. There'd probably be outcry at the moment. But Formula E seems like the kind of place where I mean, they they tested out attack mode and it worked out. They've mm-hmm. tested out uh, for obviously fully electric motorsport and that's worked out. And th- th- there have been lots of motorsport innovations that have been tried out in Formula E and then copied elsewhere. Eventually, do you think maybe a Rooney rule that says that any team principal position and or you know test driving position uh, must either go to or you know b- um um, that, that there must be affirmative action in interviews for women. Do you think that would be a good thing in FE? I think it would be nice, honestly. Like, I think it's very easy to look at a resume and say, like, okay, well, this person's been in the sport for, you know, insert how many years here. And this other person's been in a different industry for how many years. But it's maybe it's not exactly motorsport. It, like, 
you don't know if that person's going to have value until you talk to them and you hear what they have to say. Um, I think it would be beneficial. Like we've even seen in Formula E when they've had the all-female tests, that's a good step forward. That's putting women in the cars and that's saying like, hey, we're we're doing something. You know, none of those women ended up having a full-time drive, which I was kind of annoyed about. Um, but even when you think of something like extreme where one woman, the team of two drivers has to be mm. one man and one woman. Like that, I think is, you know, I don't know. I see a part of me wants to say, I don't know why you, if it would work in any other motorsport, but at the same time, why wouldn't it? Um, you know, I think that's also my own internal bias coming out there as well. Yeah. Um, and like I, why I wouldn't think... it work in formula E? It probably would be like, it'd be fine. Um, you'd have multiple women doing really well. And, you know, the only issue is that, you know, there are a lot of existing driver contracts. Yeah. And, but I, I think extremely, um, you, you know, just for the fact that Molly Taylor has utterly kicked ass and, yeah. uh, it, you know, uh, we, we've, we've also had, um, had, you know, newer drivers to the world of raid rallying, like, uh, mm-hmm. Michaela Arlen Kotelinski, who'd already won yeah. in touring cars. And, uh, it's, it's just really, brought to the front the fact that you know we've had these drivers all the time and mm-hmm. uh, most people like me hadn't noticed them yeah exactly and like i think if you had that like forced exposure it would be so much more like it, you'd realize that women have been here this whole time women have been competing in motorsport since motorsport first existed like this is not some new concept that's just been brought about um, if we actually got a chance to see them, we w- would realize that. But the fact that we don't, the fact that they, you know, aren't promoted because they're not given a chance to interview or they're, you know, segregated off into their own series, um, whatever the case may be, we're, you know, it's it's a it's a really interesting time. And I think like Formula E could be the next series that says, you know, we have to have women involved in a greater capacity. We like everyone your reserve driver has to be women. Like maybe that's the first step that they take. Um, So, you know, you don't have drivers who are like getting their contracts cut short or whatever the case may be. Um, But, you know, something, something of that sort where it's like you mandate that women are involved in the team in some way, in some greater capacity. I think you'd, you'd realize like, Oh, women have been here this entire time. There are great women, open wheel drivers all over the place. We're just not, you know, they're just at a regional level that we haven't seen. Definitely, definitely. Um, so we've got one more driver space, and that is for a test driver. Uh, the, mm-hmm. the, the test driver uh, doesn't always get action out on track. It depends on when the FIA plans uh, plans the new driver test, and uh, you, you, you know when when exactly the teams can 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 have that uh, test after a race meeting. So it's usually just um, you know one day, a Monday at some point of the season. But they're incredibly important back at the factory because they're usually your lead sim driver so who have you gone for for this very important role i have picked someone with past formula e experience in simona di silvestro oh yes yeah yeah simona is a great reliable driver when it comes to testing and when it comes to getting a feel for the car she may not necessarily always be the best racer but she's always been great in terms when it comes to like feedback and whatnot and that was um, I spoke to Beth Peretta and Simona in Nashville for IndyCar, and that was something that they both kind of reiterated was like, 
she's gonna power through she's gonna figure it out she's gonna get her her wheels on the ground and just go um so i think having her as someone with ample open wheel experience both within formula e and outside of it uh would be would be beneficial for the team yeah and um she was with porsche when they first came back to formula e and uh i I, I think um, um, it, it's it's obviously very difficult to know um, uh, what a test driver brings to any team, but I, mm-hmm. I would imagine very strongly that uh, that uh, she was providing as much feedback in those sessions as the two race drivers. I, I think she mm-hmm. was... Um, I mean, she's never been uh, backward in coming forward with her opinions, and I bet she was incredibly useful in that first season. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Like, it, it's so tough to know what goes on behind the scenes, but... She's one of those people that like will tell it to you straight and get straight to the point. So I feel like she would be beneficial, at least in that respect, as a test driver. And and she's got so much experience, uh, good, good and bad as well. I I, I think one of the things uh, obviously you know the the uh, shadow of w series has uh, has uh, ca- cast long over our conversation so far but she was one of the drivers to say no to it from the start because uh, she'd already mixed with everyone right from the start and felt that she she had she had that reputation already um mm-hmm. do, do, you, do you think that uh, it has uh, made her a better driver having to struggle in things like the lotus indycar and you know have, having to having to sort of make do see that's that's the double-edged sword of it is that like when you have these women racers there when they get these opportunities they're often not given a top tier opportunity so they're not exhibiting you know their full capacity as a racing driver and so there is this frustration of like what could simona's career have been if she had competed in something that wasn't garbage uh from the very get-go at the same time like it is cool that she was mixing with the dudes all at the same time and that she wasn't you know she wasn't put out to the side to say well she's good for a girl well like there's actual tangible evidence that she's beaten xyz men on the track Mm. so she you know she has that under her belt um I don't know if it's necessarily a good thing or a bad thing. Like, I think, <laughs> I think it's a double-edged sword either way you look at it. Um, you know, you can, you can give these women their own sport and put them behind cars and have them race against each other, but you're never going to know how they compete against the men. Or you can give them a garbage car to compete against the guys, but you're never going to know how good that woman is. Um, you know, we, we need someone to, to bite the bullet and, like, actually sign a woman – for like a Penske drive or something. So then we can, you know, begin to see women actually competing in equipment that's capable of getting a win uh, as opposed to, you know, nonsense. Yeah. But uh, I, I think Simona has done um, an, an enormous amount of good throughout her career. Um, uh, di- didn't, didn't she drive for Andretti in IndyCar at some point? Oh, uh, was it? I know she did in Formula E. She did like, who I think she did the oh, season enders, right. yeah. Yeah, I can't yeah. remember an IndyCar. Yeah, she. Um, I, I I remember she was in Formula E in the first couple of seasons, and um, mm-hmm. uh, she, she's she's always been highly highly rated whenever she's gone. So um, great choice. I, I'm almost wondering, you know, maybe um, I I think she's late thirties. Maybe she would be a little too old for the race drive. But would you not be tempted to maybe swap her for one of your race drivers? Like, that was the thing as I was thinking about it. Um, she's 34, so she's not, like, aged oh. out entirely of motorsport. Um, however, I know that her 
personal interests have expanded. So she's been doing a lot of the like bobsledding and stuff and mm. doing a lot of winter sports. So she's gone. Like I didn't want to put her in the, in the driver role because I know that I don't think driving is her first priority anymore. I think it is among other things that she'd like to be doing. Um, so that was, that was my reasoning for that okay. one. I'm, I, I'd love to talk to her about bobsledding at some point. That would be that would be fun. Yeah. I, I did I did speak to her during lockdown for a podcast, and she was she was incredibly mm. good. But uh, yeah, mm -hmm. would would love to do that at some point. But uh, yeah, so Simona de Silvestro is your test driver, and of course, you know yep. she she was she was the lead driver for Beth Peretta Racing uh, in its attempt at the five hundred. So uh, mm -hmm. would be would be someone that Beth would take with her almost without a doubt. I would have thought exactly exactly yeah. i'm over here making connections definitely <laughs> and uh, talking of connections uh what we want is a new powertrain supplier to formula e so who is this female forward team going to take with them so i i picked two answers for this one because i don't know if my first answer is going to count um my first initial thought was lucid because hmm. i really like what lucid is doing in the automotive industry in terms of electric vehicles however they are they collaborate on the battery in formula e so i don't know like i was like it's kind of that middle ground of like well it could count but it also could be discounted so i leave that up to your ruling whether or not lucid counts well, uh, Lucid were rumoured for a long time to be considering an FE entry. I think they decided against it, uh, not because necessarily of the conflict of interest, but because mm -hmm. uh, because they were, I think, ramping up production of the Lucid Air and felt that that should yeah. be their priority at that stage. Um, but yeah. yeah, I'm aware that they were collaborating on the battery and I think some systems in the uh, FE Gen 3. So, mm -hmm. uh, but I... I I have been reading Sam Smith on the race saying that uh, insiders say that uh, that wouldn't be a problem if they chose to enter. So I think you can go with that. Okay, perfect. Yeah, because I, I, I'm very skeptical when it comes to automotive startups. Like I've covered plenty of beginnings and failures at Jalopnik. Um, but Lucid is one of those where I've been super excited about what it's offering in terms of, you know, a super long range luxury electric vehicle. Um, and I think it would be like, it wouldn't be out of place to compete in formula E because I mean, obviously it's a great way to showcase your technology and they already have kind of dipped their toes in the series, but like, it, it, I don't know. It, I think it would be really cool. Like it would be a way to continue to showcase what it's doing. Um, if it felt it could do that alongside production which has admittedly not been extremely rapid well um yes we, we we say that although um it's it's not the worst american electric car manufacturer for it's promising not. things and then not releasing them is it it is not uh <laughs> how many electric cars have come out since tesla announced the Cybertruck? <laughs> <laughs> well, it, um, I I just want them to release the bloody roadster. It was it was even more know, of a finished product so cool. than the Cybertruck. Yeah, I know. Um, and uh, it um, I I've got a Hot Wheels of it. It looks beautiful. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I, I I prefer Lucid. It seems I don't know. Their CEO hasn't said anything ridiculous. <laughs> it hasn't tried to <laughs> you know buy Twitter and take over the world yet. So they they're still good in my book. Yeah, and uh, uh, he uh, and he's probably more likely to be allowed into an FE paddock than Jim Glickenhouse as well. 
Oh God! Don't even get me started on Jim Glickenhouse. <laughs> <laughs> oh, should, should I say Jill Upnick's favorite Jim Glickenhouse? Oh, he's a frequent commenter, and yeah, not like I... me when I talk trash about him. <laughs> yeah, he's probably the only. He's probably the only automotive CEO who has the time to read his own articles and comment on them. I know that must be nice. Like I don't even have time to read my own articles about things people write about <laughs> me. I wish I did. <laughs> Well, um, I, actually, I, I should definitely get Alanis King on. I, I, I said I would mm -hmm. at some point, but uh, the, the, the two of you quite regularly uh, publish the worst emails and comments you've been sent. And uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I, I'm glad you can laugh at it, but some of them are horrible, aren't they? Yeah, I mean, it's it really it sucks because a lot of them are so very personal um, and like it, it was frustrating because so Alanis and I both were at Jalopnik at the same time. Um, she started before I did, but we were both pretty young, like super early twenties um, when we were both there at the same time. And like, we would mention these things and our male coworkers would be like, Oh yeah, we get hate emails too. And it's like, well, it's different when it's attacking your physical appearance. Not like mm. it's one thing to be like, your writing is garbage and I hate your takes. Like, all right, fine. You don't have to like the things that I do. Um, there's a lot of things in this world that I also dislike, but to have people kind of come for your physical appearance or like just the fact that you're a woman and to constantly like deny your intelligence. Um, I had people send me pictures of my own house uh, a couple of times, which was oh my God. awful. Um, and it was like, well, you're, you guys aren't getting that kind of stuff. Like it's a different level of garbage. Like it, Undoubtedly, getting hate emails is never a fun thing, but it's always a little different when it's like, you're a terrible woman and you're not even cute. Okay, I don't really care. <laughs> the one that, there's one that actually sticks with me for some reason. I don't know why. Um, I had posted photos. So I bought a car uh, to learn how to drive a manual transmission because I didn't know how to do that. I was posting photos of like, here's me, like I'm trying to learn how to take care of a car myself for the first time. I'm trying to learn how to drive a car for the first time. Um, and I was posting photos and stuff and someone like commented on my nail polish because it was chipped and they were like, you need to go get a new manicure. And I don't know why that's the one that sticks with me, but that one actually was upsetting. Like <laughs> some of the other ones that are over the top, like it's over the top. I'm like, yeah, whatever. But that one I was like, oh, I don't know. That one was personal. I mean, when I kind of think of my career at Jalopnik, the first like four years were spent establishing myself as a reputable journalist who knows what she's talking about when it comes to things like formula one and it sounds so silly to say that because it wasn't like i didn't have any idea what was going on um it was just that people click on a story they see it's written by a woman and they just assume uh she doesn't know what she's talking about and i mean this is something i experience even doing interviews um with drivers they will clarify very, very basic concepts to me as if I didn't understand what they were talking about, where I know that they're not doing that with my male colleagues. Like, I know you don't have to tell me, like, you don't have to tell me how qualifying works. I'm aware of how qualifying works. You don't need to preface your answer. We have seven minutes. Like, let's just cut to the chase. Mm, um, mm. So there, yeah. there is still still a lot of a lot of that going on. Yeah, um, the, the uh, one one of the people who I think is uh, is 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 breaking that down is uh, is Formula E's powerhouse interviewer Nikki Shields. I really like her actually. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. I do too. Um, she's really, she's very sweet in person as well. And actually, um, she she's she's one of those um, kind of powerful presences who you, you you sometimes don't notice exactly how good she is until she's not there. Because whenever they get someone to fill in for her, you know, uh, if she has to be off for whatever reason, um, they, they mm-hmm. always have a problem getting the answer out of the drivers that she gets fairly instantly. Yeah, exactly. Like she's really kind of integrated herself and she's done a wonderful job showing exactly what it is. Like when a woman can be really good and when a woman is taken seriously, like this is the cool stuff that you're going to get out of it. Um, so, it, yeah, I just I love to watch what she's doing. Like she's she's able to like not just have a good time, but also to kind of ask those hard questions. But no one takes it to heart in a way. Um, she, she balances a really interesting kind of middle ground that I I really enjoy watching. Like she brings so much to the broadcast. Yeah, definitely. And um, I I I think I think it's probably a job that you could do as well. If you ever thought about moving into TV or move, moving into, you know, full t- full-time visual content? Oh, I I hate being on camera. <laughs> it was just <laughs> like that's the only thing that's really stopped me. Yeah, and then I I turned that camera on me and I was like absolutely not. Um I can't I don't know. I I can't speak words when you put a camera on me. <laughs> I feel like I look like a doof and then I'm so worried about how I'm presenting myself. It's a whole thing. So I don't know. I'd I'd like to Mm. give it a shot. I thought podcasting was going to be out of my realm of possibility, but I found that I actually quite enjoy it. So we'll see. I feel like I probably have to bite the bullet and just do it and get it over with. Um, Podcasting is great. And uh, the the thing is, um, what I've noticed is that it seems to get a wider audience than anything than than anything people write these days. I, I, Mm I, I wasn't aware when I started doing, um, obviously, this is a tiny podcast compared to the one that I'm going to mention that you do in a minute. But like, I wasn't aware until I started really doing this podcast regularly, just how many people want a motorsport podcast. And Mm -hmm. you've been doing one uh, with the crew at Donut Media for some time it's yes. called the uh, it's called the donut racing show drs and mm-hmm. what kinds of things for those who don't listen or watch have you been covering in that uh so we had our first season lit last year uh we started about halfway through the f1 season and we at that point were primarily covering kind of big news topics and race recaps uh heading into this next season we're going to be expanding our focus a lot more so you know, we'll still have our race recap episodes, but we're going to be recording every week. Um, Alanis and Alanis King and I are both on there. We both have a lot of um, kind of deep dive ideas, things that we want to have special episodes about that involve a lot of research. Um, so we're, we're, we're kind of expanding our horizons. So it's a lot of things Formula One prim- primarily at the moment. Uh, that's what Donut is interested in. Uh, but we do occasionally touch on other things. Alanis is a really, really big NASCAR fan. Um, I'm huge into literally everything else. <laughs> Not so much NASCAR. <laughs> I like to watch NASCAR, but um, like Formula E and IndyCar are my kind of other specialties that I bring. So there's a little bit of a side discussion when it comes to that. Um, yeah, it's it's been a lot of fun. Uh, we're with Nolan Sykes from Donut, who's hmm. you know one of the the main founders of Donut. Um, we just have, kind of have a good time. It's it's there for a laugh. It's you know you'll learn something, but you will probably also um, have fun while doing it, which I think is the the important thing for us. Yeah, well, I I love Donut Media. I I love the way that they've they've really 
broken through and yeah i i feel like they they were the next step on from the top gear style of things because yeah what what they did was they took the whole irreverent thing to the next step and uh so they're, they're videos where you know whether you're into cars like we are or not you can watch them for the entertainment value as much as anything can't you mm -hmm. exactly uh so Alanis and I went to the donut headquarters last year when we recorded our first episode and we also recorded a video uh, with the donut crew and I think we had more fun like watching them tape the ads for that video than anything <laughs> else because they were just so like well done and over the top uh, and really funny. So it, it's, I don't know, it's, it's one of those things where it's like the production value is great. Um, no matter what, there are so many different types of videos that will teach you something if you don't know about that topic already. I've written a couple of them before um, for Donut. So it, it's, I don't know, it's just fun. It's like, it's something that appeals to people who want to learn about cars. You don't have to already have a super deep dive knowledge on it. Yeah, and actually, uh, it's funny you mentioned Donut's ads because they, they take a really different um, you know technique which i'd never thought of before to an ad read which is to basically turn it into a comedy sketch yeah exactly i mean that was we did one with they were advertising their children's shirts so you know just a donut <laughs> kids shirt and they had a little mannequin that they had it on and it was just so funny watching everyone interact with this little tiny mannequin um and treat it like their own son <laughs> Uh, it, like it's it's really it was so much fun i was like oh well this this is you know if everyone did their ads like this like maybe i wouldn't hate them <laughs> maybe maybe would skip past that part of the video exactly and uh can't can't let you go without talking about uh i i think it's your first book in collaboration with yes. alana's king uh racing with rich energy which is lifting the lid on formula one's most bizarre and most hated sponsor rich energy so mm -hmm. um you, you must be blown away by the reaction and by the sales figures of this book yeah i mean so I I went to graduate school to pursue a master's degree in English literature. So I know that it is not easy to publish your first book. Um, I know not to expect a lot. And I know that the author has to do the legwork. Um, but I was still very blown away. Um, Alanis and I worked so hard on the book. We wanted to share it with everyone. We made so many memes about it throughout the writing process and afterward that people were interested and they wanted to know more. Um, I don't know. It may, like I'm smiling right now because we've received so many kind messages and so many people just to like even to say like we're excited about this, um, you know, whatever the case may be. It was it was so nice to see people show up uh, and our publisher was astonished, actually, that we had so many pre-orders for the book. I think we were like we broke a record at the publishing company, McFarland, for how many pre-orders that we had. Um, and those were direct website pre-orders, which, again, is extremely rare these days. Usually everyone just buys on Amazon. So to buy directly from a small publishing company to support your favorite authors and their book, uh, it was really it was really nice. I was like, oh, I, I was so I don't know. I was so thankful for the people who expressed that because there was it, it was kind of a demoralizing writing process at, at times. So, you know, the amount of times we didn't get an email back from someone or pursued a lead that didn't pan out or, you know, got so far into digging something up spicy and then 
hit someone with an NDA that, you know, we knew we weren't going to get past this roadblock um, to have people, despite that, be very interested. Uh, it was really nice. It's, it's very heartwarming. Do, do you think it might turn out to be the last word on this particular F1 sponsor? And do you think it might uh, finally close the door on those dodgier uh, F1 sponsors? Or do, do you think that now now we have, um, you know, uh, crypto companies uh, that they will just be the new rich energy? You know, our goal with this book was never to, like, achieve an end aside from clarifying what exactly had happened. But I do think it's going to have that kind of simultaneous effect that it's going to prevent rich energy from coming back into Formula One. Um and possibly other forms of motorsport because we talked to so many people from so many disciplines that struggled with this sponsor. Um, I don't think it's going to do anything to stop the crazy sponsors that we get in Formula One just because I think a good way to like kind of compare it is it's like high stakes gambling. When you're in this atmosphere where you're spending hundreds of millions of dollars to create a really fast car, like sometimes you have to take the plunge and hope that a sponsor has the money for you that they're promising because it's all you can find. Um, and fortunately for F1, that centers around the teams themselves. And in a lot of other motorsport, it's usually the drivers who are bringing those sponsors. So, you know, it's a lot easier, you know, if Roman Grosjean, for example, had brought Rich Energy, it would have been a lot easier to like sack Roman Grosjean and get someone else in there. Um, but, you know, when it's tied up with the team, it, you, you really can't. So I, I, I think we'll still have a lot of the scandals. I just think we'll perhaps people will be more skeptical of the uh, the strange looking folks, the ones who, you know, seem like they yeah. got too much that's good, to, too good to be true. The, the the ones that look like they should be producing the next uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers album. Exactly. The ones who look like they're about to ride off into the sunset on a Harley, perhaps those are not <laughs> the folks we yeah. should be expecting millions of dollars from. <laughs> perhaps not. And actually, I was watching last night the new McCartney documentary where he's interviewed by Rick Rubin. And uh, I, I just couldn't look at Rick Rubin, the music producer, and not think of William Story, unfortunately. He, he has that effect where like everyone you see who kind of looks like him with long hair and a beard it's just like oh are you gonna scam me with an energy drink <laughs> this is it this is it but elizabeth blackstock it's been lovely to have you on the motion e podcast uh pl please come back thank in you the so much again for having me it was so nice to get the invite for round two yeah uh, um well i think it might be the third time we've had you on actually uh but, oh my god uh, it might um, be yeah. So, um, but um, it, so I guess that I guess that makes you a veteran. But no, good luck with the donut racing show this year. Um, good luck with the further sales of racing with rich energy. How can people buy the book, uh, or how would you like people to buy the book so that you get get the biggest cut from the sales? So the best way to find out where to buy it is to go to richenergybook.com. Uh, that is Alanis and I's website. We have a little tab called how to buy that will tell you how to buy whether you're in the United States, which is different than if you're international. Um, so there are different distributors. Just go buy it on Amazon. Uh, it makes our numbers look really good on Amazon, which keeps getting us more sales. So it's fine. Um, we weren't making money off of this book anyway, so it's all good. <laughs> <laughs> Well, um, if if you can show me a journalist who makes money, I'll I'll, I'll show you a pink elephant. You know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it would <Yeah>. be nice. <laughs> 
Well, I'm 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 doing Formula E, so don't don't talk to me about making money anyway. But never mind. Anyway, that's no. I I mean uh, this this is uh, totally for fun. I'm I'm I I don't I don't think anyone gets into motorsport hoping to hoping to make a packet of money, do they? Really? I don't think you really can, unless you already were rich to begin with, which I was yeah. not. Yeah. I was already starting off on the wrong foot. But uh, Elizabeth, um, really hope you enjoy uh, this season's racing and um, all the best to you. Thank you so much. Yeah.